I don't know if you're an NFL fan or not, but I love when I watch the NFL, I get to see 22 men out there on the field doing in a routine way things that on my best day of my life I could still only dream of doing and they do it about 150 times in the span of two hours. Even more amazing than that, we have elite athletes doing these incredible things and then there's a whole nother level to the NFL where these guys make these ordinary quote-unquote, NFL guys look like boys who are out there playing in the uniform. One such man made the Pro Bowl, that's the elite of the elite, five years in a row. He was once the NFL most valuable player. He was four times in five years the NFL rushing leader, and twice in that he scored more rushing touchdowns than anybody else in the league that year. And he did this while playing for a team that lost more games than they won in those five years. He also lost a civil suit for $33.5 million for the wrongful death of two people. And then years later, spent nine years in prison for burglary and kidnapping of a man in Las Vegas. His name is Orenthal Julius Simpson. O.J. Simpson was, is one of the great all-time rushers in the NFL. And I just had my first problem doing from this. Yes. Okay. And there is honor in being one of the greatest NFL rushers of all time. But the now infamous O.J. Simpson is known for his major flaws, which are not honorable. And this causes us to beg the question, how do we honor those who are dishonorable? Well, to begin with, we can rejoice over their accomplishments. You know, we can. O.J. Simpson was a great running back. And if you watch his old tapes, they're, they're kind of fun. And while we're doing that, we need to distinguish between his accomplishments and the person making those that we have come to know him to be. While we do that, we need to make sure we're not judging. We're not judging in the way that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. We're not condemning him. We're not making him out to be less than us. We're, we're just recognizing that his demonstrated attitudes and actions are not honorable, which should cause us to learn from his example both the good and the bad. In fact, I decided years ago, if I can't learn from somebody, the fault is more likely to be mine than theirs that I can't learn from them. The good and the bad. And while I'm doing this, pray for them. Pray for O.J. Simpson. He is still alive. 
Pray that he would repent. Pray that we would rejoice forever in heaven as we praise the God who saves us from all our sin. And I need to add, if the dishonorable person that you need to honor is your parent, I need to say something very specific. You are commanded to honor your parent. It's not an option. Now, it may be that your honoring of your parent is that you are living such a life that the people around you don't know that you had a parent that is dishonorable. And you don't need to let them know unless there is a reason to do so. Again, allow me to be clear. If I met O.J. Simpson, I'd have a good time talking with him. I'd love to hear some stories about his NFL career. But I'm not going to set him up as an example to myself or anyone else. Instead, we should turn our attention to those who do, in fact, live well. And we need to honor the honorable. Tonight, we're going to see that Paul honors the honorable with love and affection and praise. And we will also see what Paul has in view. What is he talking about when he describes people as honorable? And so, we turn in God's Word to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may... I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned about your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As I have already noted, the second half of Philippians chapter 2 is written as a testimony. It is a number of examples of how Paul intends for us to live the kind of life that he has been describing since chapter 1 verse 27. You'll remember there that Paul commanded us to live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We are to stand firm. We are to strive together for the good news. And we are not to be frightened by anyone who opposes God's kingdom. And then from there, he unpacks how to go about living this life. And he describes the Christian life as one that is humble, obedient, and joyfully sacrificial. And he gives four examples 
of what this looks like. The example of Jesus himself in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Then again, Paul uses himself as an example in 17 and 18. And then tonight we'll be looking at both Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, these men are given to be, they are held up to be examples so that you and I can imitate those aspects of their faith that are imitatable. Therefore, we need to look closely and see what it means from Paul's own lips how it is we can live as citizens of Christ's kingdom. So let's start in verse 19 with Timothy. This is what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I that shortly I myself will come also. Now, this is a mystery to no one here. But all of our plans do not come about. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. We make plans. They don't come about. God is the one who is in charge. He is, it's everything that we decide is subject to the will of God. Now, sometimes his will is mediated through princes and governors and various officials of government. But those powers are always subject to God. And yet... Even though Paul recognizes that God is in control, he knows he is not. So he makes contingent plans, which is part of what's going on here. Paul wants to come to see the Philippians, but he has to make plans in case it doesn't work out. And so, part of, these, part of this plan for in case something happens that he doesn't want to happen, he writes to the Philippians so that he may be cheered by news of them. That's why he wants to send his emissary Timothy. That's why he wants to get good news back from him. Now, the reason Paul wants to sell, send Timothy is because he wants to be encouraged. I imagine sitting in jail, even the godly man that Paul was, he could be tempted to be discouraged. And so he is so confident in the Philippians that he's like, look, I can't wait to get news from you guys because I know that news is going to be encouraging. He, he is certain, and that's why he wants to send his best man, so to speak. He wants Timothy to go, but he's not ready. Instead, <clears throat> he writes an introduction, so to speak, of Timothy because he plans to send him someday. And he begins by describing some of Timothy's outstanding qualities. He, Paul says, will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, as much confidence as Paul had in the Philippians that they would give him good news when he heard about them, he was even more confident in Timothy and acknowledged and honored Timothy because he knew that Timothy was a guy who could be depended upon. Now, what made Paul so confident of Timothy? 
He was confident in him because of proven character. Timothy is not like those who seek their own interests. Timothy was a reflection of all that Paul had been preaching to the Philippians about. He put their interests of others before his own. And as an example of putting others' interests above his own, Timothy is a son, it serves as a son with a father. He has served me in the gospel. Now this is good news. This is a great honor that Paul is giving to Timothy. I could not imagine a higher personal honor than saying that someone serves as a father, a son, or a brother. He obviously had Timothy in high esteem because Timothy humbly, obediently, and joyfully sacrificed for Paul. I don't know about you, but I'd be hard-pressed to write a better definition of love. Someone humbly, obediently, and joyfully sacrifice? That's a pretty good definition of love. And that's exactly what Paul has been talking about since the end of chapter 1. So, Paul wanted to send him. But he couldn't. And he said as much. I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Now, Paul wants to send Timothy because he's absolutely convinced that Timothy is going to be a blessing to the Philippians. He wants them to see what a man Timothy is, but Paul needs him right now, so he's going to keep him. And so, this loving leadership that Timothy has is not quite yet available to the Philippians. But he wants to honor the honorable. Paul wants to honor Timothy before he makes it to Philippi so that they know that they can honor this man. He is an honorable man. As we have been saying this phrase for the last several weeks over and over again, this humble, obedient, and joyfully sacrificial life is what we ought to look like. And that's why we're bringing it up again here. So Paul, seeing this man, gives honest praise. Paul gives honest praise of Timothy, and as we're going to see in a moment, of Epaphroditus as well. And he is expressing to the Philippians why he loves these men. And he's doing so because he wants the Philippians to know how to do the same thing. He wants you to know how to give honest praise. And what on earth is it that we should give honest praise about anyways? Is it just because you can carry a leather pigskin across a line? There may be some honor in that. But it is being a man who loves and sacrifices for the good of others that is truly honorable. So this week, take a moment. Give honest praise to someone who is honorable. Give honest, heartfelt praise so that they can see what is going on and 
they can understand that you are in true you truly are loving them i'm sorry my this isn't working out as well as i'd hoped <clears throat> Take a moment this week and send them a card, perhaps. Give them a hug. Express gratitude. Find a thoughtful gift that they would enjoy, especially if it doesn't cost anything, because that means you're going to have to put more thought into it. Honor the honorable. And then, as you are doing this, you will remind your heart to honor others so that you will rejoice so that you will rejoice in what is honorable. Why? Because this is exactly what Paul commands us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We see once again, Paul gives us a command and he gives us a promise. Paul gives us a command to orient our thinking around what is honorable. And so when you are giving honest praise for someone who deserves it, you are thinking about what is honorable. And you are reinforcing in your own heart and mind how it is that you can be honorable. And as you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Because let's be honest, so much junk passes through our hearts and mind. Am I right? And I'm not even talking about things that are explicitly sinful. I'm just talking about we allow so many things pass through our hearts and minds that is just garbage. So train your heart to think about what is honorable and honor the honorable. Now, fortunately for the Philippians, fortunately for Paul, fortunately for you and me, Timothy was not the only honorable man in Paul's service. He also had Epaphroditus. Let's read about him starting in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all since, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now I have to say, I am grateful for the recent increase in our culture as we have increased in our ability and desire to honor those who sacrifice for us, for our first responders, for those who have served our nation in the military or various other capacities. And again, 
in this honoring, we can learn. We can learn in whatever your field to serve, to work, to fight. Paul certainly saw himself in this way. He may have never carried a sword, but he carried the sword of the Spirit. And he would have seen himself as someone who is going into battle. And he thought Epaphroditus had the same attitude, and so that to Paul was honorable. In fact, he called Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So the first point that we can take from that is we must not think about ourselves in such a way that we are either better than they or we're too good to do some specific task that needs to be done. Not at all. We're just a worker. We're, we're just here to work until he calls us home to our rest. But furthermore, we are also soldiers. We are Soldiers, we live right now in enemy-occupied territory. We live right now in a place where the people around us don't recognize the Lord, the sovereign Lord God of all. You, Christian, why do you expect the LGBTQ people around you to think like you do? You are in their land. They are not in yours. Fundamentally, we need to remember this. And so, we must lovingly persuade them of the truth by arguing and fighting and calling them names. I don't think that works. Instead, by showing them how we live trusting the promises of God for us in Christ. We are soldiers in Christ's army. Now, two key scriptures come to mind. The first is Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. As I said, you are in enemy-occupied territory. Satan is attacking the kingdom of God. Satan is always attacking the kingdom of God. And his primary target is you and me. He's attacking the soldiers of the kingdom of God. And the soldiers in the kingdom are fighting as well. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you want to enter the narrow gate, if you want to walk on the narrow path that is hard to the kingdom, that it was going to take effort? That is going to take violence, perhaps, in fighting the temptations that are attacking you? To press on to swim upstream is going to take a lot of energy. Perhaps even violence. But again, we need to note what are the weapons we fight with. And that is what Paul gets into in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The violence that we're talking about is not violence with our hands and our feet, but with our minds and our hearts. We do not fight people. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. We take captive every thought. Whose thoughts? Our thoughts. This is where the battle rages and this is where we must be violent we must take the sword of the spirit and sever the root of sin that is there by the grace of God you my friend are a soldier of Christ fight like one Fight like Epaphroditus and Timothy who are living as citizens of Christ's kingdom and not your own kingdom. But, fortunately for the Philippians, they already knew Epaphroditus and how he fought and how he lived and that was why he was their, their messenger and minister to Paul's needs. Now, the Philippians would not have sent some lightweight, some, you know, flippant guy who's always going according to whatever the latest survey is on such an important mission. And Paul here reminds them of that. You guys must have seen something in Epaphroditus before you sent him. Honor people like that. Paul reminds the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus because they sent him on what turned out to be a very difficult mission and he came through on that mission. You are on a mission. You are on a mission in enemy occupied territory. Your mission is to love God and love your near ones. Your mission is to make disciple making disciples. Your mission is given by Christ and it is here described by Paul. And evidently Epaphroditus lived the kind of life that was honorable in fulfilling his mission. And then Paul gives us this really interesting tidbit. I think fits in what he's saying, but it, it kind of strikes me as a little bit odd. He notes about a truth about Epaphroditus. He has been longing for you and has been distressed. Why has he been distressed? He's distressed because you heard he was sick. Now, wait a minute. Let's just be honest. Man, when I am sick, when I am sick, what do I want? I want to lay in my bed. I want everybody to not bother me. I, I am a wuss when it comes to being sick. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. Epaphroditus was a better man than I am. He was far more concerned about his friends and family hearing that he was sick than he was concerned about the fact that he was sick. 
Now that is the kind of person who thinks of others more than himself. That is the kind of person you want to be. That is the kind of person who is in fact a good soldier of Christ. And note, Paul continues with this thought, note Paul's response to the recovery that God mercifully gave Epaphroditus. God had mercy on him, brought him through the illness, and on me. Paul recognized that Epaphroditus' recovery was God's mercy. God gave Epaphroditus what he did not deserve, and God gave Paul what he did not deserve, and frankly, God gave the Philippians what they did not deserve when God raised him up from that illness. Now, this may just be me, but I can hear in my ears Paul saying, Praise Jesus! Woohoo! I'm quite sure he did, by the way. But why? Why would Paul praise Jesus because Epaphroditus recovered? Well, I just gave you some reasons, but Paul gives a very specific reason why he praised Jesus for the mercy that was granted to him through Epaphroditus' recovery. And that is that you may rejoice and that I may be less anxious. Now you got to catch this. Paul is anxious because he's concerned that the Philippians won't rejoice. Again, back to that major theme. The overall theme of the whole book of Philippians is that Jesus is Lord. And if there's a second among those five themes that we keep coming back to, it's Jesus is Lord, therefore rejoice. Rejoice. And Paul is anxious because the Philippians may not, in fact, rejoice. He, like Epaphroditus, wants the Philippians to be less concerned. He wants the church in Macedonia to grow because they see God coming through mercifully. And as we have said many, many, many times, as you get to know God better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. You will therefore rejoice more. Why? Because you see God being merciful to Epaphroditus and Paul and frankly yourself and you're like, wow! That is great! God is merciful. Maybe He'll be merciful to me in my future. And you'll have greater confidence and therefore greater hope. You will trust Him more because you've seen that and then you will just rejoice because you love the God who provides. And with this example, with this testimony, that will give you hope to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, it gets better than that. Because every single believer in this room has seen God come through. You have seen God come through for you and therefore you rejoiced. sometimes sometimes we forget 
Sometimes we choose to forget that God has come through for us in the past. And so we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded to remember. Remember God's mercy to Epaphroditus. And Paul, again, uses this example of sickness. And he gives the only command we find in this part of the chapter. What we see is in this testimony of what it looks like of these two men to live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we find that the Philippians are to receive him in the Lord with all joy and to honor such men. Rejoice in those among you who are honorable. Rejoice! Praise Jesus for them. Recognize how they are honorable. Tell them how it is you see them being honorable. Tell your friend how you see that person being honorable. Rejoice in it. Bring it to mind so that your own heart is strengthened and so that you strengthen the heart of those around you. Tell people what you have seen and then praise Jesus. Praise Jesus that he has done this through this person and you got to see it. And then just when you think Paul is done, just when you think he's given his example, Paul wants to hit home one more time. He's telling them to praise Jesus for Epaphroditus because he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He risked his life. That is Jesus-like. And in this case, we need, to, we need to look at this in two ways. In this case, we see that he really did risk his life. Literally, physically risked his life by taking this trip. He could have been attacked by robbers. He could have, if he was on the ocean, by pirates. He almost died because of a sickness, because he was traveling. Who knows? But he risked his life to do it. But you know, Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily. And in one important sense, that's a risk. I mean, who wants to be hung on a cross? But the command there is to forsake your life so that you can find it. And that, above all else, is honorable. And when you and I, when, when we forget to notice that, when we forget to notice God the Spirit working in and through those who are near us, we are impoverished. We are poorer because we fail to notice. So yes, Epaphroditus really did risk his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Namely, that they weren't there to do it for him. So honor him. Honor the honorable. Now, go watch an NFL game. Go watch a basketball game. And just 
be amazed at what these people can do. Go watch gymnastics or ice skating. I mean, those people are athletes. Oh my goodness. And just rejoice in what God can do. And then, notice those who really are honorable around you and honor them for God's glory. Lord Jesus, thank you for technology that fails and reminds us that we are not in the kingdom yet. And help us, Lord Jesus, to rejoice because you give us those around us who are honorable so that we can rejoice, so that we can become better men and women of God, so that we can honor the honorable around us. Bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.